Well, good morning again. Go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to pick up right where Luke left off last week. And this week, we get to talk about elders. And we've already gone over the qualifications, so you might say, well, what more is there to talk about about elders? We've already talked about their qualifications. Well, let me tell you, there's plenty more to talk about. And uh, I want to start off um, today by saying I'm very grateful for the elders that we have here at Calvary Bible Chapel. These men do an amazing amount of work um, on all of our behalf. And uh, so it's a good opportunity to just go up right here and say, I wouldn't be here preaching without the support of the elders, and I'm very grateful to them. And because today is a rather tricky passage, I want to be very careful in what I say um, so that I might properly honor them, as we'll uh, be going over today, um, and to encourage all of us in how to think properly um, about our relationship with the, with the elders. And there may be a little bit in, in here for the elders themselves and a good, a good challenge for them. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to read through the, um, the whole passage that we're going to talk about today, and then we'll go through and break it down uh, verse by verse. So we're starting in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, which says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men fall later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. All right, so that's our passage for this week, and that's quite a chunk. So I'm not going to try and do, bite off the whole chunk all at once. We'll go through this uh, step by step. But before we do that, let's remember where we came from last week. Last week we were talking about um, the church's proper care and provision for widows. Do you remember? And we talked about honoring um, widows who are really widows, Um, but being discerning about who needs help or honor and um, and who does not. And so we talked about that quite a bit last week. Um, And we're still on that kind of same thought, not about widows, but in this case in verse 17 it says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And so again we have that same word honor here, and we're going to talk about what it means in relation to, um, to elders this week. But first, uh, let's, let's start right at the beginning of that verse. It says, let the elders who rule well. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. Um, what does it mean for an elder to rule well? Well, <laughs> it 
it means that they're doing a good job at their job of elder. Um, there's, as we saw in chapter 3, there's a list of qualifications. Um, and if an elder is meeting these qualifications and his character is blameless, he's invested in the church, if he's um, doing all the um, due uh, diligence towards his office, that's ruling well. And it gives us an example um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, of an elder, it says, He must be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the house of God? And that's, uh, so where we are in chapter 5 is referencing that portion of chapter 3 that he just wrote to Timothy. He's saying, for the men that you see that are doing this, um, we all know what a good father looks like, don't we? I mean, you can tell a bad father versus a good father. A bad father, his children are not going to respect him, his house is going to be in disarray, and so on and so forth, right? We, we all know what that looks like. At the same time, we know what good parenting looks like. We know uh, what it looks like for kids to be well-behaved, for a household to be in order. And so that same picture is applied to an elder as he uh, shepherds the, the church. By ruling, it doesn't mean he has a, you know, an iron scepter that all must bow before <laughs> you know, as, uh, as part of the church. That's not the, that's not the point. Um, the point is, is that everything is in order and he's doing a good job of being a leader and an example, and, an, and uh, disciplinarian would need be uh, within, the, within the body. That's the role of an elder. And so w- when you see an elder ruling well, you see the fruits of that just like you see the fruits of a father who rules his household well. The church is in order. There's not a bunch of uh, unruliness going on um, that he's sort of, you know, ignoring you know, you, you might have that picture of a bad father as the, the guy who's got his uh, face in the newspaper while his kids are destroying the house, right? And uh, <laughs> that, that's, not, uh, that's a good representation of what a, a bad father would be, right? But the elder, the same thing, right? He wouldn't be uh, kind of minding his own business and ignoring all the dissensions and squabbles going on in the church. No, he's going to step in there and say, look, these are things that need to be dealt with. And he's going to rule well. All right, so that's what it means for an elder to rule well. But it says of these men that they're to be counted worthy of double honor. And, okay, so what does it mean, double honor? What does that mean? What's the first sort of honor? Well, the first one's the more obvious one. Someone who's an elder deserves respect because of the office that they hold. Um, You might think of a... a policeman, right? You respect a policeman. Why do you respect the policeman? Because of the office that he holds. He's there to do a certain job, and you respect him because that's what he's there. He's upholding the law. We respect the elders within our church because of the office that they hold and the responsibility that they've taken upon themselves. And it's altogether right that we should do so. And we'll get to some passages uh, in, in a minute that talk about um, respecting your elders. But we all know this. That's, that's right and just that someone who's an elder is the leader and we should be respectful of them. 
But the second, so that's the first honor. So what's the double? What's the second one? Well, the second one is uh, material provision or, or financial support. And we know this. How do we know this? It's because it talks about honoring widows who are truly widows. What does it mean to honor a widow? You help her out, right? If she's in need, you come alongside her and you provide for that need. Well, the same thing, it's, this, it's the same root word here, the honor, so that the second part is an elder who's doing well at his job is deserving of financial or material support. And there's a whole bunch of pitfalls around this that I want to address, and here's, here's why I kind of have to tread carefully. Um, but th- there's a whole bunch of pitfalls, and I'm going to address those first, and so we can kind of clear away all the things. This is not what it means, and then we'll look at, okay, so what does it uh, in fact mean? So um, from verse 18, where it's talking about, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, um, that was a, a commandment giving way, given way back in the Old Testament to the Israelites that as they're uh, threshing and, and grinding the grain, right, the ox naturally is, sees himself walking around in a pile of food, and he says, ha ha, look, food, and he bends down and he will eat some of that as he's doing the hard physical labor of, of threshing and, and grinding the, the grain. And so the Lord said, look, it's not right if you're so stingy with your harvest that you won't even let the ox bend down and pick up a little food for himself out of the whole pile of uh, harvest that he's in. The Lord says, that's, that's incredibly stingy hearted, so don't, don't muzzle your oxen. But it goes beyond that, and the Lord back then was setting up a picture for today and the men who would be working in the spiritual labor, seeing all the fruits of a spiritual harvest, the Lord says, don't muzzle those people. In other words, they should be able to enjoy the benefits of their work, and part of that should indeed be uh, financial support. And it seems that perhaps um, the church here um, that Timothy's at in Ephesus might have been might have had a bit of a stingy heart towards her elders. And um, it doesn't tell us much directly about the elders at Ephesus, but we can uh, rightfully assume that these men would be performing the same roles that we see in our, elder, in our elders today. They're going about um, teaching and preaching and caring for the saints and counseling and shepherding and praying with people, and, and meeting with the sick, and all of these things that we know are the responsibility of elders. And guess what? That takes a lot of time, <laughs> doesn't it? And so how unfortunate would it be for a church to have these men in the church that are pouring out their lives and their time and uh, <laughs> every, every spare minute, uh, as it were, into the work of the Lord and into the work of the church, and the church should just kind of go, you know, thank you very much. <laughs> right? Paul's, or, uh, sorry, yeah. Um, Paul's saying that's, that's stingy. It's just like muzzling an ox while it's trading out the grain. Um, so it, when talking about the elders, um, 
Paul's saying to Timothy here, look, don't let the church be stingy toward its elders and not give them the honor that they properly deserve as part of their work. Um, on the other hand, there's another pitfall in that we might think, oh, uh, an eldership ought to be a, a pain position, right? And uh, I mean, you might make up a ridiculous case like, oh, you know, we need an elder for our church, so we'll, uh, let's see, we can set up a, a $10,000 signing bonus and, a, and an annual stipend of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars after that, right? That's not what this verse has in mind either. Um, and we, we know that because um, it says of the elders in their qualifications that they shouldn't be greedy for money. That's right in the qualifications for elders. So if you see an elder who, who's doing his job for financial gain or uh, because of financial incentives, he doesn't have the right motives as an elder. And so there's a, a huge pitfall there. And... Um, the Lord uses an analogy in John chapter 10 um, of a shepherd who's, who's paid to be a shepherd, the, the hireling. And the, uh, the illustration goes that Jesus is the true shepherd who cares and watches over the flock, right? But if someone who's hired, at the first sign of danger, he's going to say, I'm only making minimum wage here. This, is not, this, this fight with this bear is not worth my salary, and uh, see ya, you know, and leave the flock to be, to be slaughtered by the, uh, the wolves or the bear or what have you. Um, so the, the idea there is that if you're paying someone to be an elder, <laughs> you're, you're really never going to pay them enough. <laughs> um, but there, there's not a dr- direct um, financial link like, okay, you, you, know, you counseled uh, three people a week, so uh, each person's worth, you know, so much money per week. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not a, um, what do they call that in um, commission? It's not, a, it's not a non-commission basis to be an elder, right? And so you can see how that might be a huge pitfall to a church if, uh, if an elder became a sort of on-commission uh, type of a role. Um, but I want to go, go back to the point... Um, where, it's, where people might consider that the elders are not worthy of the role. And this is, this is where this practically applies to us, because this is how we should think about our elders, how we should honor them as a church. Um, if you look, um, we'll have the words up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, this is again Paul speaking uh, to the church at Corinth um, about his ministry in the gospel for their sakes. And this is kind of a a long passage, but you'll see some similarities here. Uh, He says, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Hmm, That sounds familiar. (laughs) Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, 
but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. What Paul's saying is, is that preaching the gospel is not a lucrative business all by itself. But just as um, we've mentioned before with the, the um, illustration of the ox, um, and Paul even brings in additional illustrations here, the, the priests serving at the altar, right? They're offering up sacrifices um, to the Lord, but part of that sacrifice the priests were allowed to eat. And you can look in the, the books on the law for that. Um, now, Paul's talking in this passage about his labor of the gospel, but certainly the same thing applies to elders in their spiritual ministry as well. Um, so it, it doesn't just apply to those who are preaching the gospel, but those who are in a spiritual uh, ministry. Um, but Paul, in this passage, is saying it as a rebuke. He's saying to the church at Corinth, look, we worked among you, we, and we know from Acts that uh, Paul was in Corinth for a long time. He says, we worked among you for a long time, and would it be any big deal as we were working if you supported us financially so that we could have food and shelter? Paul says, no, that would be altogether right for someone who's committed their lives to bringing the gospel to someone, giving them an eternal life and hope, right? The message of the gospel of God, it, it, it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. As someone who's bringing that message, right? What great thing is it if you feed and clothe someone who brought you that great truth? It's amazing. Um, but Paul says, to their rebuke, he says, we didn't receive any financial provision from you in order that no one would have any reproach against Paul or his fellow laborers. In other words, Paul was so concerned about his testimony in the gospel and not being even remotely perceived as someone who was in it for the money that he refused all gifts um, whatsoever from the church at Corinth, which was um, one of the richer uh, areas that Paul ministered in. And we know from other passages that the, the support, the financial support that Paul received during this time was from poorer churches up in Macedonia that gave not out of their excess, but out of the, their very um, necessities. They gave them away so that Paul might be supported in his ministry uh, in Corinth. All right, so where does this all get us? In honoring our elders, we shouldn't be stingy towards them, but give them the proper honor that they deserve for those who are doing well and doing a good job. And of course, it's an, an elder is free at any time to say, you know what? Um, thank you for giving me this double honor of financial provision, but I don't need it and I won't accept it. There's nothing in here that says that the elder has to accept financial support um, while he's performing his office as elder. But the church should be willing and not stingy towards its elders in giving them that double honor that they truly deserve. So now that we've talked about the pitfalls that can come 
we, sh- we need to talk about the positive things. And, th- and the f- one of them I've already mentioned in that it's our, um, our duty as a church to honor our elders and to count them worthy of this double honor. So um, as we think about our elders and think, how do I properly uh, relate myself to them? Count them worthy of honor for their office as an elder and of deserving of your material support if need be. Um, and it doesn't have to be, when I talk about material support, I've used um, financial uh, support primarily, but it doesn't have to be just financial support as well. How many uh, saints have just called up an elder and said, hey, you know, I'd like to take you out for dinner? You know, just out of the blue. That's a great way to say thanks to an elder. Did you hand them a check? No. But you got to spend fellowship, uh, time in fellowship with them and you honored them for their office as an elder. And that's a great way to do it. And there's many other ways that we can financially support um, our elders. You know, say, hey, you know, have you got a bunch of yard work around your house that needs doing? Do you need, you know, <laughs> help moving stuff around? Whatever it is, um, help our elders out. Support them in whatever way you can, because we are the beneficiaries of their spiritual labors and what they're doing for us. And it ought to be an encouragement to the elders um, in their ministry by seeing the saints honoring them. It ought to be an encouragement to the elders saying, okay, I'm doing this work and I see the response that I'm getting from the body I want to keep doing this. I want to devote myself to this work more and more. Um, that, should be, that should be a proper uh, cycle within the church. The elders ministering, the body responding and following their ministry and being spiritually blessed by it. And then in return, uh, blessing the elders. And that cycle should continue and the, the church should continue to build itself up. And I wanted to read also a passage out of 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 4. This is Peter uh, talking to the elders. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker in the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Peter there is directly addressing the elders, and he's saying, here's how you should be about your work, not as under compulsion, not as grudgingly, not as lording it over people, but he says being eager in your work, being an example to the flock. And there's much more to it than just the honor that the elders receive from the saints and rightly should honor. He says at the end of the passage, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And we know that that's an eternal reward given to the elders when they stand before the Lord Jesus and he says to them, well done as an elder, here's your crown of glory that will not fade away. 
How precious is that goal? And that's an encouragement directly to the elders. Press on towards that goal of the crown that does not fade away. And of course, we, the body, ought to be supporting our elders as they press on towards that crown. All right, let's go into the, uh, the next section of uh, 1 Timothy. I've just covered two verses so far, so I'm going to have to pick up the pace here. Um, it says, You shall not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And that one's uh, pretty straightforward. We know that an elder in their duty, there's always going to be people trying to tear them down. And you might uh, think of a, an example where um, an elder might be in a counseling position with a husband and wife, and he might uh, tell them, you know, hey, you guys really need to do this. And if they don't receive his advice, they might go around telling other people, oh, he told me to do this, but, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And he gave me bad advice and yada, yada. And you might see how there might be backbiting and stuff that goes on um, based on the ministry that an elder was trying to provide. But then the person didn't receive it and turned it back and is using it to attack the elder. And you might think, wow, that, that never happens, but <laughs> it does. Um, people tend to, to not be receiving uh, gratefully the things that people try and do for their benefit. And so it says, it says that don't receive an accusation against an elder that he's sinning or done something wrong except from two or three witnesses. In other words, don't listen to backbiting against an elder just because of their office. It will happen, but don't listen to it. But, on the other hand, if the elder has indeed sinned towards um, people in the body, then if there is two or three witnesses, that accusation ought to be received and ought to be dealt with. And it says in the um, next verse, verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. The elders, as we saw in chapter 3, have a very high standard for their, um, for their office, for their character um, while they're serving in their office. We know um, there's a whole list, including that they be blameless. And so if an elder is ever found to be not blameless, but indeed has fallen into sin, he's a leader in the church, and he's an example to the body. And we can't, the body cannot sustain a leader who sins in the sight of all and is not rebuked, because other people will follow his example. Oh, the elder did it, why can't I do it? Right? It's the same idea as a parent saying, um, kids, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Right? It destroys the testimony and example that an elder is, is supposed to have. And so it's a very serious thing when an elder falls into sin. It's, a, it's obviously a serious thing when anyone falls into sin. But it's extremely serious when an elder falls into sin because of his role as a leader and as an example. And so... If that happens, and if there's witnesses that say, look, 
this elder is doing this thing that ought not be, then that elder ought to be rebuked, obviously with the purpose of him repenting of that sin and not continuing in it. We're not just putting him up on a pedestal to knock him down and to destroy him, but to say, look, the sin has been discovered. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with in the sight of all so that all may fear and benefit from knowing and understanding the consequences of this sin. So that's, it's a very serious verse. And it's, it says in here, it says, to do this rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. And that, that phrase, the rest also may fear, can be taken two ways. It can be taken that so that the other elders, the rest of the elders might fear. And that's um, a cer- certainly true, that the other elders must be committed to living their own lives in a blameless manner. And so they, if they see an elder rebuked for his sin, I think it's more than right also that it should be the other elders who, re- who publicly rebuke the elder who's messed up, right? Because we know that elders should always be... a t- a team, right? That's not just one elder over a church. There's always a plurality. So that elders who have not sinned ought to publicly publicly rebuke the elder who has sinned um, as taking a stand for the truth against sin and to speak into their own lives and say, hey, look, here's the consequences and here's what will happen to you if you do the same thing. It's the sin of an elder is a very serious matter within the church. Um, but it also applies to the church. If you see an elder being rebuked for a sin, it's going to provoke in your own heart, oh man, he's an elder and he did that. I should be more scared of what will happen to me and the consequences in my life because of the sin that you see in someone else. We ought to learn from one another's mistakes. And so that we're all not caught up into the same sin. And there's, I don't have to uh, preach a whole sermon on the serious of, seriousness of sin. There's plenty of passages in the Bible that's, that talk about it. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's a good thing to be warned about and to take to heart. Look, don't fall into sin. It has serious consequences. And especially... Um, in the next verse, in the next couple of verses, we see um, a very serious charge in verse 21. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing impartiality. In other words, don't show partiality to someone because they're an elder. Oh, he slipped up, but he's an elder. We won't make a big deal about it. We'll just sweep it under the rug. Right? That's more damaging than just the sin in the first place. Now you've compounded it by trying to sweep it under the rug. Sin must be dealt with, especially when it affects the whole body. And so don't show partiality to someone because they've been a a faithful um, part of the church for a number of years or because of their position. Or uh, perhaps um, someone might say, oh, This elder has given me tons of good advice in the past, and I'm very grateful for that. I won't be too hard on him. No, we need to deal deal with these things properly so that they're dealt with and don't reoccur. 
Don't, re- don't show partiality. And we know from the book of James that it's also true that we ought not show partiality amongst the people in the church, right? And there's a lot of par- examples there um, where James rebukes uh, the church for showing partiality to the more wealthy members. Um, and he says, everyone is equal in the sight of God. God doesn't care how much money you have. He owns everything. But what he does care about is your heart and your soul. And we also should care about people uh, equally and not show partiality. Um, and he, we can see that this charge is very serious because he specifically says, I charge you before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ, and before the elect or holy angels, that you take these things seriously and don't show partiality. He also says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. The idea being that the laying on of hands right, is the appointing of someone to a position, whether it's a position of uh, elder, um, or we do that um, also with uh, uh, commissioning people to be missionaries. We commission them by, you know, with the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands signifies that I identify with this person. This person is representing me. And so Paul says to Timothy, when you're selecting an elder, a leader in the church, and laying on a hands um, and commissioning them to their office, you're identifying with that person. And you're saying, this is the person that I want to be the elder over the church. He says, don't do that sort of thing hastily. You're identifying with that person. And if that person is practicing sin continuously in their lives and you appoint them to the position of elder, you're also identifying with their sin. And that's what it means. Don't share in other, other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. When, you, when he would lay on his hands, he's saying, I, I identify with this person. So keep yourself pure from sin. And that's why it talks about elders and deacons must be tested in, in chapter 3. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip verse 23 for a second. Uh, we'll come back to it in a minute. But verses 24 and 25 say, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men fall later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. The good... The evil works of sin men are clearly evident means some people are obviously disqualified from the role of being an elder. The sin is obvious in their life. And Paul says that's obvious, you know, it's, it shows up, uh, it's clearly evident, uh, the words Paul uses there. He says, but those of some men fall later. In other words, you have to watch and test a man to see how he responds. And if you see sin in his life, that's the sin that falls later, that comes out under testing. Some sins are obvious. Some sins come out under, under testing. But when you're thinking about it, don't lay hands and just commission someone to be an elder hastily. Test them and see, is there sins that are going to come out of their lives, the sins that fall later? You need to know about those things before you appoint someone to be an elder. And the same is true of a man's good works. Some people are very obvious and out in the open. 
about the good works that they're doing in the church. And um, quite rightfully so. If someone's doing a good work, they, they ought to be recognized for it. But some people are very good at doing a lot of good works without garner, uh, garnering a whole lot of attention. And Paul's saying to Timothy, that, that will also come out under testing. If you see someone who's faithful and teachable and dedicated towards the body and doing those good works that he's called to do, that'll come out. And you'll, you'll start asking around and say, hey, um, what do you think of you know, brother so-and-so? Oh, he's just the nicest guy. You'll never believe what he did for me last week, right? And you'll, oh, I had no idea that he was that thoughtful. And some people's character you don't, is not very public, but it's just as pure. And um, I'm going to take just a minute to say that um, the role of elders is not confined to just one in relation to one or two spiritual gifts. If you notice in the qualifications for elders, it doesn't say that they have to have one particular spiritual gift or another. But it does say, well, you might say, well, it says that they have to be able to teach. Yeah, but there's teachers who are able to teach that don't have the gift of teaching. Um, and so elders can have any of the spiritual gifts as they go about their role, but they have to be called by the Lord to the position of elder. Um, and so not all of the elders, and this is even true in our own assembly, not all of our elders have the gift of teaching or are up here speaking uh, from the pulpit on a regular basis on Sundays, right? So you might say, well, then where is that elder's works, right? They're not public and obvious. But that those elders... Um, are often the ones that are most uh, committed to shepherding the flock because they're not having to pre prepare for the public um, ministries. They can dedicate to the le their lives to less public ministries. And there might be good works there that may be hidden from a lot of us that we never know about, but are nonetheless uh, deeply needed by the body. Um, Okay, so let's touch on verse 23 uh, real quick where, it, where Paul says to Timothy, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, if you're like me and you've been around the church for a while, you've heard this verse quoted a whole bunch of different ways and entirely out of context. But the context is king in this passage. And that Paul is saying to Timothy, if you think your job in working with this church and, and working with the elders and trying to figure out who's qualified to be an elder and who's not and uh, spending all this time with the church, if it's starting to give you a stomach ulcer, <laughs> use a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I've heard all sorts of... Um, stuff written about this of, oh, you know, uh, see, Christians are completely at liberty to drink alcohol because of this verse and so on and so forth. You're ignoring the context if you're using it to reason for that. Paul's saying, look, Timothy, I understand that the position you're in is a very stressful position. And Paul's not saying, you know, go out and get drunk in the evenings after you finish your uh, after you finish your duties, you know, and forget about your cares for a little while and, you know, get drunk. He says, use a little wine, not 
you know, not to excess. Um, but he says it'll, it may help you in dealing with the stress to have a little wine to help your stomach out and your, your frequent infirmities. He's prescribing it as a, as a medicinal thing, not a, not a binge drinking thing. Um, so don't take this verse out of context, please. All right, so what do we learn from all of this um, talk about elders? Because you might be sitting here thinking, well, a lot of this stuff is all well and good for the elders to have in mind as they're doing their duties. You know, they're not supposed to be greedy. Um, they're supposed to shepherd the flock. They're supposed to do it eagerly. We've heard a whole bunch of talk about what elders are supposed to do. But what do we get out of this passage? Well, the first is, is that we ought to properly honor our elders. And I talked a little bit about this before. But there's a tendency as a body that we, especially in America, I think, that we tend to be rather individualistic about our faith. And we think, okay, you know, if I, if I read my Bible uh, during the week, if I come to church... Um, I'm doing, you know, a good job as a Christian. We tend to kind of be individualistic and think about how we're doing individually in our walk with the Lord. And while it's certainly true that we ought to be examining ourselves and making sure that we're walking closely with the Lord, there's a bigger context that we are all in as believers, as part of a body, and part of our role as believers in being part of the church body is properly honoring and respecting our elders. It's honoring to an elder when you go to them for advice. You're saying, I'm going to make use of the, the um, role that God has put you in as an elder. I need advice. I'm going to my elders. That's honoring to the elders. It's even more honoring to the elders after you go to them for advice to do <laughs> what they say. You might think that that's obvious, but <laughs> we all struggle with it. <laughs> I've struggled with it in my own life um, and meeting with the elders and them saying, you know, Sam, you ought to really think about doing this. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> it's easy to be there. But we ought to honor our elders and give them proper respect for the position that they're in. They didn't sign up for the job because they were made to do it. They signed up. It says one of the qualifications for an elder is that they desire it. right? And that we looked at that verse in 1 Peter where it talks about them being eager in their service. Work with the elders. Give them opportunity to use their spiritual gifts in your life. Give them opportunity to fulfill their role and receive the blessing that God intends for them and them performing their role. And follow their advice. Um, it says that the elders will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Elders are earnestly seeking that goal. And if you think, well, elders can just give it any advice they want because we won't know how good it is uh, until the life to come. Well, that's a, that's a bad way of thinking. Elders know that they're accountable to God. 
they know that their eternal reward is at stake in ministering to to the saints, and they want to do a good job. That's the men that we've been blessed with as part of our assembly. And so honor their advice as coming from a person who has your best interests in mind, who's that uh, shepherd of the flock that genuinely has its best interests in heart, at heart. And um, receive that as someone who is really concerned for your soul. Honor your, your elders. The second thing that we ought to take away from this passage is that warning about partiality, um, especially in areas of sin. Don't be partial to other people, whether it's an elder or whether it's a family member, in addressing sin. If someone has sin in their life, you're not doing them any favors by ignoring it. And obviously, uh, <laughs> we just covered last week in the Sunday school cl- class the talk, the, um, uh, the talk about judging not lest you be judged and the, the um, illustration of trying to judge someone where you have a plank in, or a, a log in your own eye and you're trying to pick at someone else's splinter. I'm not saying going around, go around picking at everybody's splinters. But if we're ignoring obvious blatant sin in each other's lives, the idea is that we can call each other on it to build one another up, to, to speak the truth and love to one another. And we ought not be partial to one another because of um, status or family member or anything like that. Um, but build one another up. Um, I certainly hope that for me and my, my role in the assembly... I have uh, Jake and Luke are my close friends, and they've come to me and said, hey, you know, Sam, uh, you ought to think about, you know, something that you said, or you ought to think about um, the way you're behaving. And they've been right, and they've really built me up, and it's been a a mutually beneficial thing. So um, call one another out in love and build one another up. And it doesn't just go for sin. It also goes for things that we see people right doing, doing right. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Encourage one another. Build one another up within the body. Um, and don't, don't show partiality and encouragement either. Right? Build everyone up. And finally, know this, that your character will always show through under testing. Um, and it's, in, in this passage, we saw that um, Timothy ought not appoint any elder hastily, but wait and see and test them on their character. But know that that's true for all the saints. Our characters always show through under testing over, over time. And so if you're trying to work on your character, it's a good idea to work on it also over time and work towards bettering our character because... Um, Character always shows through. You can't hide a bad one for very long. It will always show through. And so that comes part and parcel with building one another up. Build one another up. Look to the Lord. And uh, don't remember to honor our elders. So we uh, thank the Lord this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this practical instruction uh, to the elders and to the church in honoring the elders Lord, and we know, um, again from First Peter, that we ought to be submissive towards our elders and honoring to them. And Lord, we pray that as a body, we would always do that. Um, 
Lord, that we might grow together and be strongly knit together as a body. And Lord, we pray for our elders, Lord, that they would, um, that you would protect them from sin and um, encourage them in their ministry. And Lord, that we might honor them properly and uh, we might be there uh, when you reward them in heaven and we can cheer for them, Lord, as having been your good and faithful servants. Lord, we thank you for your blessings uh, to us through your word and through the people of this assembly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.